In these bleak days, humanity is at a breaking point. Economies are tanking. The woke mob is canceling everything. And the little guy who's just trying to run a small business is getting screwed from both ends. But not all is lost. Amidst the chaos, two men offer up their voices in the darkness, dropping 2,000-pound laser-guided truth bombs on today's lunacy. Introducing the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. The Buggles, Brad, The Buggles, um, one of the iconic hits. I believe the first song ever played on the MTV in the 80s um, it rose to number one. It stayed there, stayed there for, I believe, a number of weeks. Maybe, maybe not. But it, it, it's uh, uh, really when you hear that song, no, no song takes you back to the 80s and, and what was happening with technology and uh, MTV and, and global politics and uh, you know, sort of geopolitical decision making at the highest level, then uh, video killed the radio star by the buggles. Uh, yeah, some of that is probably actually even true. I don't, I don't know that it ever went to number one, but it is a good song. It's catchy, like it's one of those songs where when it comes on the radio, you're like, ah, I haven't heard this in a while. And then you find yourself singing along. You know, 1979, buddy. They were ahead of their time. Because I don't remember watching a single music video until MTV came out, and that had to have been mid '80s, right? Maybe early '80s. I think it was early '80s. I think it was early '80s. But uh, and I do believe this was the first video played on MTV. I could be completely wrong, but I, I thought- uh, I'm sure. Well, if if it wasn't, they missed a bat, right? Because mm-hmm. this would be the song that they should play. And the Buggles must have not been exceptionally great songwriters because that song was a hit. And then he, they disappeared off the face of the earth, near as I mm-hmm. can tell. Mm-hmm. Although I believe Paul McCartney at one time was a buggle. Uh, may not be the same thing. It may be something different. Aren't those the people that can't do magic? Uh, that's, uh, I believe that's bread or ELO. Oh, you're oh, talking no. about the gnome-like creatures. We'll get to that later in the episode. No, was, I think it was the Harry Potter thing. My kids watch those movies, and I think, boy, you know what? I'll get to the bottom of this. It sounds like, oh, it's a muggle. A muggle. It's a muggle. Cannot, cannot do uh, magic in the uh, Harry Potter verse. Not to be confused with the game of muckle. You and I have both. Uh, oh, yeah, I think no. we were we were oh, connoisseurs of muckle. In yeah, the, you uh, wish you could do magic if you're playing muckle. Yeah. If you're in the middle of a muckle scrum at the St. Pius the V schoolyard, the big boy schoolyard, of course, the one across the street. Uh, it's basically a patch of dirt and some concrete. Uh, if you were uh, if you were the recipient of that Nerf ball. Uh, look yeah. out, Johnny, bar the doors, because you, my friend, were getting muckled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you can't do that anymore. That's on the long list of things that you can't do anymore. You can't. You can't. But Paul McCartney, speaking of Paul McCartney, you know, I learned today, I learned today that um, Yoko Ono, who, of course, destroyed the Beatles, um, left New York City. So she, after John Lennon was killed, right, at the Dakota apartment building, which is an iconic apartment building in New York, Upper West Side. Um, she left at the beginning of the um, uh, pandemic for her uh, estate. Uh, someone call it a farm. Others wouldn't. 600 acre estate in upstate New York and has not returned. So uh, Yoko Ono is done with um, Manhattan. 
She's never been back to Manhattan since John Lennon was killed. No, no, no. She lived there for many years uh, oh. after that, just since, since the pandemic. She's been oh, involved. since the pandemic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I could. Yeah, she's an odd duck, and so I could see her falling into the category of people who, um, you know, would believe that being in Manhattan made one more susceptible to the pandemic than being, you know, effectively anywhere else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course uh, she destroyed the Beatles single-handedly and NSYNC. She was also involved in the breakup of NSYNC, but that's neither here nor there. David Pritman, Brad Sheaf, we are back. Brad, we mean business. We are uh, starting the uh, long trek to iHeartRadio. Of course, you're excited about that. We talked about that earlier today, all of the bells and whistles of iHeartRadio, the Spreaker um and uh the muggle all that all that stuff uh we we talked about and uh we are we are now uh starting our transition to iHeartRadio wow. from from cable radio network and Salem who I understand have some thin skin Brad thin skin well yeah but i mean they have a history right i mean it, it, it's hard to overcome the witch burning thing and so you know they they are a little thin skinned about that so we don't want to talk about that at this point buddy we're just two muggles heading for the Spreaker. I'm not sure what any of that means, but if you are listening and you know, then you now know where to find us. And Brad, we uh, mean business and we are prepared to muckle all the news that's fit to print here and give you the information you need as you take on a very, very um, uh, trying environment out there for small business owners and just general bon vivants. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, Brad, we always start with our two big news items of the week, the two big news items that people can't live without. I mean, they can't live without them. They need them. Uh, if they're going into their uh, work week, they need to uh, have this all written down. And when they go in with this um, uh, ammunition, if you will, they become a better businessman or woman or business non-binary type deal. Yeah. We, we need to come up with a methodology for the show. I think, buddy, that what we should do, as opposed to confusing matters, is we will go with your birth gender, mm-hmm. right? So if you, if you are in the midst of a transition, have transitioned, are quasi-transitioning, are transitory, listen to a transistor radio, mm-hmm. anything of that nature, um, we're going to go with your birth gender. We mean no offense by it. If you are offended by it, however, that's too bad because that's that's how we're going to do it. That's how we roll. And it, yeah, and it's just it's going to make things far less confusing for everybody. So if you were born a dude, we are going to refer to you as a dude. We'll try to make clear that you no longer consider yourself to be a dude, which is mm-hmm. fine. Correct. Uh, first, Brad, up uh, the big uh, news item of the week is kind of an update. Um, we've been talking about some of the tragedy that has befallen um some of the uh, animals at the Dallas Zoo over the past few weeks. Oh, of course, yeah. Dallas is the home base for the IP Frequently Pritam and Chief We Mean Business podcast. And um, and so we've been keeping tabs on that. And we now have an update, in particular, an update on the vulture pin. Pin, who was found um, murdered in yeah. the Wilds of Africa exhibit at the Dallas Zoo. That's um, aviacide, buddy, when you kill a bird. Is- Kill the bird, yeah. Um, so anyway, this week, uh, all the uh, friends of Pin gathered together at the Wilds of Africa exhibit at the Dallas Zoo to eulogize, to eulogize Brad the vulture Pin, and uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. It, uh, it was entitled "Eulogy for a Dallas Zoo Vulture," and and it made note of the fact that uh, Pin arrived at the zoo. 
33 human years ago. He was 35 years old. He was born most likely um, hatched in a shallow nest atop a high tree in Africa before he was brought to the Dallas Zoo. Many people who knew Pin well were there to talk to him, including one Sterling Markham, a resident of Dallas, who uh, noticed the majesty of Pin and returned while Pin was alive to take his portrait and then create a painted portrait. So uh, uh, Sterling Markin had uh, had actually painted a number of beautiful portraits of the vulture. Of, of the vulture. And, yeah, and he actually, yeah. at, the, at the memorial, he, he, of course, spoke, and he said, I'm naturally drawn to some of the animals that may not be showstoppers, but they're showstoppers in their own right. Everyone paints the thing that's most beautifully exotic and that they love, um, but I paint the things that are beautifully complex. And one of those things, Brad, was Pin. And for those of you who don't remember, Pin, of course, <clears throat> was found um, dead of a puncture wound in his head. Uh, neck area. Some pin, would say. Uh, yeah. On January 21st, some people said it might have been a blow dart. Others uh, weren't sure. Um, but it, it was a beautiful ceremony, I understand. Um, uh, the, the bunch of people smoke. I, I guess the Sterling Markham was the most um, impacted by the death of Pin. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's, it's a murder. Um, he said during his speech, uh, his eulogy, Brad, I'm heart sick about the death of Pin. Who could have done such a thing? But I'm grateful that we found each other when we did. End quote. Uh, and then uh, he said, uh, quote, he deserves to be seen in his beautiful majesty, end quote. So there it is, Brad, um, a lovely, uh, a lovely ceremony for a vulture. Yeah. Well, I, but to my knowledge, that is the first time anyone has eulogized a vulture. My guess is that even if it isn't, it was the most eloquent time anyone has eulogized a vulture especially a vulture they have made the subject of apparently a number of paintings um that's something else i have never done unless it was a house obviously or a room within a house i've painted those but never a uh, never a vulture um, but uh you know and i'm i'm sure that the remainder of the birds in the zoo appreciated the effort and my guess is it probably wasn't a blow dart that killed the bird. That's a that's a relatively uncommon weapon in the modern era, uh-huh. and uh, one would have thought that if the dart had in fact killed the bird, you would have found said dart. But mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe someone blew a an icicle through a soda straw into the bird. Yeah, they're not sure. They they the only report we have is that they quote found him lifeless. During the morning, the uh, morning head count they do every day. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Dana Isaacs, the lead bird zoologist at the Dallas Zoo, um, found him laying there, and she assumed natural. <clears throat> she assumed it was natural causes until she saw the gaping wound in his. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. His neck, um, yeah. and it, and also Brad Dana Isaacs, of course, gave a eulogy himself or herself i'm not sure um and uh he she said that um these uh type of creatures these vultures can live up to 50 years old pin was in excellent physical condition uh he should have lived many been worked out he should have lived many more years um and uh uh you know uh so i guess that there are uh a lot of questions to be answered about the murder of Pin, and also, of course, in addition to that, there was the 
the double monkey theft that uh, took place about a month and a half ago at the Dallas Zoo as well. And the uh, leopard, the snow leopard walking free among the um, uh, the uh, outside of his cage, her cage. Um, so a lot going on there. But really, the, the, the leopard lived. The monkeys were recovered. The person who took the monkeys was arrested. But the only victim of this at this point, Brad, appears to be Pin, who could have lived another 15 to 20 years. Um, and uh, really, I'll just wrap this up with the comment of Marcy Henry, who apparently appears to be an assistant zookeeper, uh, zoological manager at the zoo, zookeeper, I'm not sure, who worked with Pin for 26 years, um, who said Pin was a lot more of a bird. Pin was a friend. People don't often, and this is a quote, people don't often realize that these birds eating dead animals helps keep disease out of both humans and animal populations. Pin was truly magnificent. So there it is, Brad, but does uh, seems like a beautiful, um, uh, beautiful service. I, I, I'll say this also. Marcy Henry also said, quote, Pin would often give you his trust and he would give you your space unless you were near some of his prey. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there it is, Brad. Uh, you don't see that every day, do you? No, no. I mean, I, I don't know that I myself have ever earned the trust of a vulture. And so that's a, uh, you know, that's a tip of the cap there to those who had and uh maybe we can at this point put a pin in the story we may have to there are more there are many more quotes here but i, I think we uh i think we probably need to move on because I, i'm not yeah, sure i can relay this at this point we're flogging a dead vulture so we're going to move on to things that are not so uh heavy and dark but again those of you who wrote down some of those quotes about the dead vulture pin and his um, eulogy and memorial service, you could be so lucky as to be so loved as Pin was. Correct. Yeah. I mean, if, if either you or I or both of us were to pass on this moment, I don't know that we would have as many people show up to eulogize us or say um, such stunningly heartfelt things as Pin received. Correct. Uh, next, Brad, uh, have you heard of the dark triad? Oh, yeah, I believe I have. So, I mean, we need to differentiate this between Chinese organized crime which is, you know, fairly dark and consists of triads. The dark triad is a set of three personality disorders, I believe. Mm-hmm. Maybe narcissism, correct? Borderline personality and I don't know what the other one is. Well, this is a study out of the University of Padua, Brad, in Italy, uh, that uh, has actually studied people who wish they were taller, wish they were taller. Um, and <laughs> okay. uh, it says people who wish that they are, that they were taller tend mm-hmm. to have more of a dark, more dark triad traits, which, of course, are um, uh, narcissism, Machiavellianism mm-hmm. and Machiavellianism. Uh, and Machiavelli from correct. Uh, He's one of those mice. Padua. He's one of the mice. So well, I don't know. But yeah, he is the prince. Oh, um, and uh, and so uh, I thought this was interesting. And I thought it, it'd be a good moment to reflect on anyone you know in your life or have known that uh, it, they, some people call it Napoleonic complex or short man <laughs> syndrome. <laughs> um, but somebody who carries these, you know, traits, which, you know, as the university said in its um, um results the paperwork to relate the results you know sort of be careful what you wish for yada 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 mm-hmm. um uh so i guess it, it sort of makes us take stock in who we are as people and um i guess another thing you'd wonder is why the university of padua dedicated time to this 
Um, but they did say, and this is their one of their conclusion statements or conclusions, quote, shorter people, especially those who wish they were taller, are more characterized by traits that are likely to make them show off, be confrontational, and be interested in power. And that's from Peter K. Johansson at the University of Padua. Um, so there it is, Brad. This seems like a definitive study on um, uh, Napoleonic uh, syndrome. On the Napoleonic complex, yeah. I, uh, I, you know, you and I share a common acquaintance who certainly suffered from, you know, all of that and was, you know, I don't know, hobbit sized, um, but angry, like an angry hobbit. You don't, if you watch those movies or read the book, certainly you don't get the sense that hobbits, generally speaking, are angry, but this one was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then there's one other person in my past that I went to college with who was diminutive in his stature, he suffered from uh, the proverbial Napoleon complex or short man syndrome, or now I guess, uh, you know, the Padua defined influence of the dark triad. Yeah, and they did say definitively that shorter people do tend to have more dark traits. So that's uh, that's interesting. Just keep in mind, a little bookmark <clears throat> we'll place out there and uh, we'll continue to look at it. Next, Brad, um, uh, of course, you know, we've talked in the past couple of weeks about the, the, the disastrous train wreck in East Palestine, Ohio, where the pollution literal is spewing literal. Yeah. yeah, literal. Um, and uh, uh, of course, Mayor Pete showed up there a couple of weeks ago in designer work boots. You see that? That was that was nice. Yeah, he showed up, what, yeah. 20 days after it happened? Yeah, you know, some fancy work around. Boots. Yeah. Yep. 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 He's and, a fancy and, lad. He is a fancy lad. He's a multimillionaire as well, Brad. Um, and it seems like uh, now people are calling out the fact that many of these trains carrying toxic waste are barreling through much of small town America. And um, at this point, the only person we have on that wall protecting us is Mayor uh, Pete. And so a lot of people are are saying, well, wait a minute. Is that uh, is that a, a smart uh, um way to uh, conduct uh, transportation policy to have this guy who really has no experience other than the last two years in office, um, you know, sort of in charge of this. And how are we regulating these hazardous loads? And could this come to our small town? And what about our families and all this stuff? Uh, and so it's sort of starting to come to a head. Uh, but uh, very, very interesting that, um, you know, this is something that's sort of been uh, beneath the, the covers, if you will, until until now, but it looks like uh, it looks like the management and the regulation of the railroads is going to take on a whole new um, meaning after this East Palestine disaster. Well, but you know, unfortunately, in fairness to all involved, you now this is typically what it takes for people to change behaviors that have been going on for a long time. Right? I mean, people assume that because something has been going on for a long time and nothing bad has happened, that nothing bad ever will happen. You know, it's why people are killed in avalanches and all sorts of things because you know, they have thought to themselves, well, I've, you know, I've skied this slope lots. What could possibly happen? Boom, they're covered in snow. It ain't so good. And so, you know, in fairness to Mayor Pete, who is, you know, if he is on the side of usefulness, he's barely on that side. He's right on the border with being useless just in general, near as I can tell. Right. I mean, here's a guy who. And again, to your point, these these things, trains have been barreling through small town America, loaded up with poisonous substances for mm -hmm. decades. Mm -hmm. Right. So is that Mayor Pete's fault? No. But when it the event that should change your perspective 
occurs on your watch, right? So, you know, it is unfortunate for Mayor Pete, at least I'm sure he perceives it this way, that this event has happened on his watch because now he has to be responsible for it and responsibility is not his strong suit, right? When it happens on your watch, you need to jump on the opportunity to make some significant changes, right? Like there is a benefit to being the guy who is on watch when the critical event occurs that allows changes to be made, because then you can wait in there and go, okay, this whole thing is a soup sandwich and here's what we're going to do about it. And you can, you can get your arms around it. You can make some change. Hopefully that is fulfilling for you. If you're just a mercenary bastard, like most of these politicians are at a minimum, it is an opportunity for you to make a name for yourself by doing something good. Of course, Pete has fumbled that horribly by instead of responding in such fashion, simply claiming that the problem with the construction industry is there's too many white people in it, right? And that if the construction industry looked more like the communities in which construction was occurring, then, you know, all these problems would go away, right? So, you know, note to Mayor Pete, you're a dope if you think anyone A, believes that, or B, is going to vote for you, because that's clearly what he's angling for, right? He wants to run in 2024, he screwed this up by the numbers. And so he's falling back on what all of these leftists fall back on. And that is he wants to play the race card, right? He wants to say, well, I, I've made just a, I, I've completely screwed this opportunity up. I've made myself look like a total jackass. I, I didn't comment on it for over a week. I didn't show up for almost three weeks. Mm-hmm. When I did show up, I was wearing dress boots into Elf a boots. hazmat situation. Mm-hmm. I'm a dope. What can I do to try and bail this out? And and for a leftist who lives in the lefty echo chamber, yeah, there's a there's a righty echo chamber too. Don't get me wrong. But for those who live in the lefty echo chamber, you say, oh my gosh, I need to say something woke and then I will be, you know, redeemed. And so what he chose to say was, yeah, there's too many white folks in the construction industry in general. We need to get rid of those people and replace them with I, I don't, you know, not white people. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah, Pete, the best bet for you is try to survive the next two years where you will almost certainly fumble everything tossed to you. That's just who you are. And then if you still have political aspirations, lay low for at least a cycle, right? Like let someone else be the president for a while. Let someone else be the secretary of transportation, you know, sort of drift away from politics for a while, maybe recover yourself a bit and then come back in. You're, you're not going to get her done in 24, my friend. No yeah, chance. It's probably, probably time to let the dream, <laughs> let the dream die. Next, Brad, one of the things we like to do is we like to talk about nutritional facts that small business owners can use. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about those high calorie coffee drinks, which are just delicious, but you know, not necessarily what you're looking for. No. Um, but now, and, and I don't know, do you drink a lot of Coke and Pepsi? I, you know what, buddy? I drink no soda, and that is not a political statement or a health kick statement. It's has always been too sweet for me. I just uh, and then I and I actually tried diet sodas because I had buddies who were like, "Oh yeah, us too." Drink the diet diet soda tastes like, well, let's be honest, ass. And so I don't. Yeah, I just don't drink any soda. Neither do I. I'm not a big fan. I used to love a diet coke now and again, but I haven't had one in years. Um, but I uh, bring your attention to, and, and of course, we are, you and I are very focused on some of the great research that comes out of the country of uh, uh, China. 
uh, I give you Northwest Minzu University, which I believe it's about 15 to 20 kilometers north of Beijing, if, I'm, if, if this is the um, Minzu Northwest campus. But in any event, uh, where they, they, of course, are doing a lot of great studies, some of them on bats and bat disease. Um, but the folks at Northwest Minzu University, M NMU, um, for short, um, have uh, attempted recently in a study, a peer-reviewed study, by the way, Brad, peer-reviewed, um, to determine the impact of carbonated beverages, in particular soda, on uh, fertility and sex organs in men. So the study um, took three different groups of mice, Chinese mice, Brad, um, one that only drank water, another that drank different levels of Coca-Cola, um, and another that drank different levels of Pepsi Cola over 15 days. And uh, throughout the um, throughout the study, the uh, scientists uh, tested the rodents uh, periodically during the 15 days. Um, in fact, they were tested uh, in a variety of ways. So I would say a panoply of ways, uh, mm -hmm. including um, drawing blood and weighing the mice testicles. Um, and they were tested. Wait a on minute. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Actually, I don't know, Brad. Do you, you want to be careful there? I be careful um, with what? I said these Chinese people are really smart, and they're, they're yeah, doing but, these tests. You, about? Well, I mean, you want to be careful all the way around. You may want to be careful there, um, but you also want to be careful. Like, I don't know how. You know, I, I'm just perhaps you just shouldn't go there. But how do you weigh the testicles without weighing like other portions of the mouse? Very carefully. I, I my, my guess is that that. Must be true. All right. So anyway, we, we're drawing blood. We're weighing <laughs> mouse balls. What mm -hmm. else is going on? It was quickly discovered by the folks at M NMU, Brad, that uh, uh, the mice drinking 100% Coke and 100% Pepsi and no water compared mm -hmm. to a mixture of Pepsi and water or Coke and water had mm -hmm. a significant change. For example, the mice that were given pure Coca-Cola had uh, uh, higher uh, levels of testosterone and their their um, you know, their, their privates, Blood work. their yeah. privates grew at yeah. a significant rate. The study concluded drinking Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola uh, without water uh, promotes testy development and enhanced uh, testosterone secretion. Um, yeah. Our findings provide a scientific basis for fully understanding the benefits of carbonated beverages to those who would wish the similar results. Um, so there it is, Brad. There you go. Maybe, maybe I should start drinking soda did these guys stop to contemplate so so the, their thesis is that drinking coke or pepsi i mean let's be fair to both giant you know beverage they included industries. both in the study of course yeah right? is that just that just that uh, you know what but i, I i'm going to leave this whole thing alone this is probably some of the dumbest work ever done by anyone and you could see why you don't often read studies out of uh, Northwestern Minzu Minzu University NMU. Mm. But well, this uh, does contradict a previous study that indicated that sugary drinks make men less fertile. A uh, study of twenty five hundred men outside of China, Brad, showed that mm -hmm. those men who drink two li <clears throat> two liters of cola a day had thirty uh, percent fewer firm, uh, sperm sperm. Uh, 
than uh, those that uh, drank none. So no one test actually tested human males and the other one mice. Correct. And somehow got out a tiny little scale and said, hey there, Mickey, put your nuts on that. And uh, somehow determined that Coke or Pepsi is, is good for you. Uh, while the test that actually was given to human males said that nah, not so much. Correct. Do I have that right. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, might, I, might, I might, if I was, you know, just sitting around saying to myself, gosh, I don't know if I drink enough highly sugared beverages that, you know, rot your teeth and the rest of your insides. I, I might go with the study performed on the actual human males over the one on the mice. Mm-hmm. I, for once, I haven't read the entire study. Usually I do like the one with the, mm-hmm. you know, the center of online security and benefits in foggy bottom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. This is a good, good group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, Brad, um, sort of an international report, but it's really centered on the United States. Santa Cruz, California, an international cosmopolitan hotspot has been racked with controversy re- recently. A gentleman um, has been approaching uh, Santa Cruz residents, um, asking them uh, uh, if their children want to pose in pictures with him. He is dressed as the cookie monster, and he's been spotted uh, throughout town, including on the Santa Cruz wharf. The Santa Cruz uh, Police Department has said, quote, we're getting calls from people who say uh, this cookie monster is creepy. Based on his history, we advise the public not to engage with this individual, steer clear from him, end quote. Uh, They added, quote, I probably would not let my kids take a photo with him, end quote. And then they delve more into the history of this cookie monster, um, uh, this this individual, the cookie, we'll call him the cookie monster for short. Um, He apparently is... um, named Dan Sandler, Dan Sandler, who also went by the first name Adam, uh, not the Adam Sandler, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, he is known for um, his escapades in Times Square uh, in the uh, 2013 time frame. He would walk around in a uh, an Elmo costume screaming, quote, any Semitic diatribes um, and uh, asking parents to have their kids pose with him for photos. Uh, so there it is, Brad. Is this something we have to worry about uh, sort of spreading throughout the U.S., or do you think this is a unique New York, California problem? Well, it sounds like a problem that one would find in either New York or California. If you do live in a place where someone is dressing like a Sesame Street character and accosting your children, you should go to the police department, in this case, the Santa Cruz Police Department, and say, hey, thanks for all of the platitudes. Like I wouldn't have my picture taken with this guy and Mm -hmm. it's probably troubling. Why don't you get your cop ass out and put handcuffs on this person? Right. See, that's where you want to go with the Santa Cruz police department. Like how about stop tweeting what is effectively common sense Mm -hmm. and go out and actually police up this guy. If all you're going to do is tweet platitudes, you're not really policing, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And to be clear, I don't think this Adam Sandler dude is officially connected to the folks at the Sesame Street or at the uh, public uh, broadcasting uh, corporation. But uh, it remains to be seen, I guess. I I would. uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm against it. In general. All right. Next, Brad, some developments out of the UK. And everyone knows who listens to the show that you love the royal family you love you some royal family mm. huh. 
Yeah. Uh, well, it was revealed this week. Remember about a year ago, you and I were sort of uh, celebrating when the queen came out and said that the Duchess of Cornhole could be called the queen consort. Yeah. So now apparently it's been taken a step because, of course, the queen was murdered, as we both know. And uh, now you have the queen consort and King Charles uh, and King Charles is headed towards his official coronation in May, which I do believe <clears throat> you and I will be covering um, personally, yeah, perhaps live, probably mm-hmm. be right there on the ground. Uh, but now apparently Camilla will be called the queen rather than the queen consort. They dropped the consort and she'll just be known as queen, the queen of Cornhole. Hmm. Well, somebody has got to do it. I mean, Cornhole cannot go unsupervised, but I guess my position on this is who cares? Like, is there someone who cares? I mean, queen consort sounds stupid and vaguely, um, you know, demeaning, I guess. Like I, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't think your wife nor mine would like to be referred to as our consort. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what that means, but it just doesn't sound good. Um, but, but who, who cares what, what Camilla Bowles Parker called Parker Parker Bowles. Parker, Parker Bowles. Bowles. She's who, the queen. Who, 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 who can, well, she is now apparently, or will be. Yeah, they took but, that. But you know, who who cares? No, Why I think is it's an issue. I think the dead queen probably cares, or maybe she doesn't at this point. No, no. At this point, she has you know passed along the responsibility, which frankly she did a great job with for decades. And, great woman. You know, great. Woman. Unfortunate. Well. I mean, she does bear some responsibility for the fact that, you know, she appears to have raised a generation of just absolute morons (laughs) and and has had to pass along this this thing. You know, the the the, you know, royalty, the throne she's had to pass along to, you know, there's no one there to catch it. Right. I mean, it seems like the next reasonable human being in the line would be William. Yeah. Well, of course. And, uh, you know, but he's got to live through a period of time when his doofus of a father is going to be the king and name his wife queen and queen consort, whatever the hell else he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, probably at this point be the ruination of a longstanding line of inbred people. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And there it is. Uh, next, Brad, um, we talked about elves earlier in the episode and, um, of course, the Mexican president, the president of Mexico, Lopez, <clears throat> Lopez Obrador, 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 doesn't sound um, Mexican either, was out over the weekend and uh, he was um, in the jungles of Mexico. OK. Wandering around. And the president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Um, that's a mouthful, isn't it? That actually does sound more Mexican, but the Obrador part does not. Obrador. Have you ever seen Moon over Parador? Remember Moon over Parador? Not sure that that helps make it sound Mexican, but uh, Moon over Parador. Ever see that movie? It's a great movie. Richard Dreyfus, Raul Julia. It's a movie about some Central American uh, dictator that drops dead. And uh, he looks just like Richard Dreyfus, who's a stage actor. And so Raul Julia, who's the evil chief of staff, great actor, by the way, dead, Mm -hmm. um, goes to New York, gets this guy and brings him in. And then they have him dressed like the... uh, uh, the dictator and he becomes the dictator, but then he turns the whole country around and yada, yada. Beep, 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 well, wasn't there a movie like that about the president? Yeah. Dave, Dave. Dave. Yeah. Kevin mm-hmm. Klein. 
<laughs> but anyway, that's neither yeah. here nor there. Both good films, but Moon Over Parador was better. Okay. Um, uh, in any event, uh, President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador uh, was in the uh, forest and he tweeted out a picture of what appeared to from be from the forest. From good the for forest, him. he tweeted out a picture of what appears to be a mythical Mayan elf called an um, <clears throat> a Mayan elf. Yeah, uh, called an oxy. Oxy. O x y or is that how we a u x e a Alexe a l u x e Alexe a l u x e. He said appears to be an Alexe, which is a reference to a mischievous critter. That mm-hmm. exists only in ancient Mayan folklore. Well, apparently so not. You know, he's, he's got a picture of this elf. It's in a tree, and mm-hmm. um, they, there are different versions of it. In uh, they've been captured in um, various forms of Mexican art, mm-hmm. including uh, sculpture and painting, whatnot. Yep. Yeah. But uh, in this case, he has actually captured what appears to be one of these elves in a tree, and this is the Mexican president. So there it is, Brad. Um, this Mayan elf called an Alux is uh, alive. Well, good. I mean, I miss them myself. I've always thought that uh, the Aluxi, you know, was a played a key role in many things. Aluxi, and uh, therefore, I am glad that the Mexican president, who was apparently wandering aimlessly through the jungles of his very fine country, was able to a capture a picture of this thing in a tree and B that Mexico has such robust networking that from the midst of the jungle, he was able to just tweet that bad boy right out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, there it is. The whole thing is positive. It's very rare. You see a picture like that. Uh, Next, Brad, um, John Fetterman. Remember John Fetterman, the big uh, Senator from Pennsylvania? Oh yeah. Poor guy had a stroke. Yeah. Had a stroke. Still be Dr. Oz, which is, you know, if you're Dr. Oz, I mean, that's that's got to be tough to swallow every morning you wake up to say you want to hear something cannot funny. speak. You want to hear, hear something funny about that this week? And you can't even make this up. You really can't. Uh, I guess some billionaire um, uh, in New York uh, took his own life, killed himself and had his funeral he was very close to obviously Bill and Hillary Clinton. They both went to the funeral, but Bill and Hillary Clinton were seated near Dr. Oz, who also went to the uh, funeral. And this guy is different from Brad, different from the suicide we just talked about of the Clinton. A. This is a friend of the Clintons, a billionaire friend of the Clintons who uh, took his own life this week. And uh, um, they oh, attended the go. funeral with Dr. Oz. But anyway, John Fetterman, who beat Dr. Oz, mm-hmm. um, as obviously had some issues, he checked himself into Walter Reed. Uh, I, I believe, uh, boy, I believe it was over a month ago, um, right after he was sworn in for exhaustion and other um, uh, symptoms related to his stroke. And uh, now he's being treated at Walter Reed on an inpatient basis for clinical depression. And his wife, who is like this liberal firebrand who pushed him to run, and their kids have now fled the country and moved to Canada to avoid the, quote, media circus that comes with having a uh, father who's a senator who had a stroke uh, and then uh, is now in uh, being treated for clinical depression. Um, I guess you could file this under, you know, be careful what you wish for or we told you so or any of the above. But uh, it seems like uh, maybe this guy wasn't fit to serve. Huh? Well, I mean, I, mean, I don't know how you can leap 
to just an ill-founded conclusion like that. I mean, based on the fact that the guy had a stroke, can't put a sentence together, Mm -hmm. doesn't regularly seem to be able to tell you where he is or what he's trying to do. And, you know, and, and all, it's hard to imagine that a guy could, you know, kind of work his way down into the depths of clinical depression when surrounded by such loving people who would push him to run for a state and statewide federal office. And then of course, when he checks himself into a hospital, which some people might say eminently predictable, you know, maybe others wouldn't Mm -hmm. not only don't support the guy, but flee the country. I mean, I I don't want to say I feel pity for the guy because that sounds demeaning, but I feel bad for this guy. And I hope that the good folks at Walter Reed take care of Mr. Fetterman. I hope that he is able to come to a recognition that this shit sandwich in which he is in is not of his own making. He should never have been there and he should resign. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that for any political reason, right? I'm saying it for John Fetterman, the human being. He should resign. He should get himself whatever medical help he needs to live as productive a life as he can. And if subsequent to that, he wants to continue to engage in politics, good for him. Um, Yeah. And when you say Walter Reed, you want them to take care of him. You don't mean like they did with the Kennedy autopsy. You mean literally. Well, no, I mean, yeah. Or from Rustler's Rhapsody, an excellent movie. Take care of her, boys. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, yeah. See to his needs, right? See to the guy's needs. Because again, Politics aside, as I've said, I'm, I'm sure you and I would not get along with him. He's a guy. He's a human being. He's in a bad situation. He's been put there by others who have used him for mercenary purposes. He may have some fault there. I, I, I'm sure he probably does. But at this point, he just needs to you know, get as well as he can and get the F out of Washington, D.C., where no one is well. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good idea. Finally, Brad, um, the covid corner is back, although, you know, the New York Times this week posted its last covid little ticker. They took Mm -hmm. it out of the print paper. So that's interesting. But uh, this week, the Department of Energy came out with a new study, a report that found the Wuhan lab leak was the most likely cause of covid. Of course, if we had said this six months ago or a year ago, uh, we would have our uh, cable radio shut down our Twitter account um, banned or barred. So it's interesting. And now we have this report out saying, lo and behold, it is uh, not a conspiracy theory. It is a um, Wuhan lab leak. People are asking the great White House press secretary about it. And she, of course, doesn't know anything about it. Biden's falling down. Do you see him? He fell again down a flight of stairs on an airplane. He's an 80 year old man. I mean, he's he's in the same category as Fetterman. It's Can't crazy. they put him on a lark or something and just lark him up there? You know, the little thing where you sit and you just. Yeah, well, I mean, something. I mean, yeah, you do something. But in any event, uh, thoughts on this, Brad? I mean, you and I were sort of saying this for a while now, as were Buddy. a lot of the people that knew about it. It looks like this is uh, actually the case. Well, again, this is all you need to know about the U.S. government. Right. I mean, again, for those of you who want to believe in a conspiracy, this is the same U.S. government that has a an exceptionally large an unnecessarily large number of quote unquote intelligence agencies, right? And so it's the intelligence branch of the Department of Energy that has come out with this report. It's one of, you know, just a a ridiculous number of quote unquote intelligence agencies in the United States government that are, you know, split effectively down the middle, each producing its own report, presumably based on the same information, right? I find it hard to believe that the Department of Energy stumbled across 
you know, the smoking gun here, right? But they're, they're split effectively down the middle as to whether or not it leaped from animal to human or it leaked out of a lab. Now, the animal from which this virus, you know, jumped to a human has yet to be identified, right? I mean, no one, have, no one could give you an example of where this virus arises in nature in some other animal and made the leap to humans, right? So that's just a presumption because viruses sometimes do that. And that's true, mm-hmm. right? Now, what you do have is a lab in Wuhan, China, where they were unquestionably working on this virus, right? That is a fact, okay? And this is where the virus started. And it appears to have started with folks who work in the lab. And I say appears because that has been reported, although some of those people are now like, you can't find them. And obviously China is not cooperating. And I get that, right? It is a dictatorship. The dictator does not want to be embarrassed. He also does not want to take responsibility for you know what amounts to a global pandemic. And so I get all that, right? But folks, it, it, it did and always had started in this lab. And it's not a bioweapons lab. I mean, nobody freak out. You know, the, the Chinese have bioweapons labs. Hopefully they are more careful in their bioweapons labs than they are in just their you know, regular sort of medical gain of function labs. But that's what was happening in Wuhan. The US was contributing to that research monetarily. And again, th- these are facts. And it, it, it leaked out. That shit happens, right? I mean, it's unfortunate, but it happens. That's what happened. And I don't know why we it, given that there's only a certain amount of information available to all these folks, they can't get their heads together and go, look, you know, this is what happened. This was the involvement of the U.S. government. It began here. It ended there. I don't think it was a conspiracy, certainly at the time that it started, right? I mean, when the National Institute of Health, which regularly funds gain-of-function research, and some of which is valuable, not all gain-of-function research is dangerous, right? But some of it is when you're trying to, you know, to determine how a virus could become more infectious to human beings and or more dangerous, you know, damaging in its in, in its infectiousness or transmissibility to human beings. That that stuff is, you know, you need to be careful with that. And we we do that. The National Institute of Health does that and it does it in conjunction with other countries. And so I I mean this is just not a mystery. And it would be it would make it much easier to deal with if people would come out and tell the truth, but they're not they're not going to do that. They're just nope. not going to do they're, it. They're not, and they're gonna they're gonna when people even speculate or follow facts where they lead, then you get you get censored or you get shut down, and that's it's it's sort of this Orwellian mindset now that we've got where you know again it's subjective truth. There's no real truth and. I guess that's the world we uh, live in at this point, Brad. Sometimes you would say that, you know, Pin exited exactly at the right time. But although, you know, Pin uh, did do some work for the Clintons. Yeah, which, you know, should be taken of note and wound up, you know, with apparently a blow dart injury to the neck, <laughs> which, you know, is not uncommon when you're around the Clintons. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they did call Hillary Clinton. Her nickname was either her, her the, 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 the most prominent nickname was either Cankles or the Vulture. Yeah. Or the Darter. Yeah. You know, they stupid occasion in college. She was known as the Darter. Mm-hmm. Um, but she couldn't, you know, she lacked the capacity. She would get confused sometimes and inhale instead of exhale. And that's risky. Drank a lot of Coke in college, someone. I think. A lot of Coke and uh, Pepsi. Probably did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. get those bad boys up on a scale. Let's see what's going on. Well, there it is, Brad.
Yeah, there it is. Again, I, we've solved a lot of mysteries here. We've weighed mouse balls. We know what that means, at least if you're in China and drinking carbonated beverages. We're moving from cable radio network to the Spreaker, which I guess makes us a Spreak show. But we will be back here regardless. Same time, same place. Enhanced content next week on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.